Hello, everyone, and thank you for the download. It's Wednesday, December 11th, and this is episode 16 of the Marty Called Podcast. I'm Tim Grassi, and today I'm joined by my co-host, Assault Nasaki. How's it going, Josh? It's going good. Merry Christmas. <laughs> Merry Christmas to you, too. And Skipper Ben. What's up, Ben? Hey, I apologize for hopping on top of a Carousel of Progress the other day and messing <laughs> around. That was really bad show of me, and I'm, I'm sorry. Somebody's got to churn the butter. True. That's what they call progress. <laughs> Speaking of Carousel of Progress, this is, uh, this is a little awkward now that Ben is here. Uh, the Duke of Hoagies is also here. Uh, uh, don't ben. tell Ben he's being replaced. <laughs> what's what's yeah, up, Gary? You asked me, I, I didn't know he was coming on. I <laughs> no. Sorry, I know we're supposed to run it by all co-hosts. I believe that was the rule back in the day. <laughs> we have to keep Ben insecure about his longevity here. That's sort of, <laughs> Got to get him up, up to his game. This way, He we... performs well when he's scared. I yes. lasted way longer than I anticipated, so it's cool. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> so, uh, so Gary is joining us for a few different reasons. Uh, uh, first and foremost, uh, Star Wars: Rise of the Resistance. Gary has been on it, but uh, I say first and foremost, and I mean second and for- and foremost, because we're going to start off talking about the Imagineering story, which uh, is perfect fodder for this show. And uh, I know something that uh, that Gary is a big fan of as well. We spoke about, I believe, the first two episodes uh, on our last episode. But uh, the recent ones have uh, seen a shift in the in the dialogue. But uh, I, I believe we've all watched the five that have been out there. Uh, the most recent one coming out last Friday. I think um, the term in the industry is jumping the shark. Yep. <laughs> I wouldn't go that far, but uh, it well, is. The shark is clearly in the frame. Let's put it that way. It, it is not far off from what we predicted on the most recent episode. Uh, the description of episode five says Under Bob Iger's leadership, the Imagineers <laughs> began a creative renaissance, plussing parks worldwide. Yeah. And. There, there are cases to be made for that, they, and they present they one of them. Fucking, <laughs> uh, he he did improve Disney California Adventure, and true, and in in, it's a in low some defense in some defense of this, uh, the last say ten years of Eisner were not exactly great. Agreed, but uh, Bob Iger is not exactly known as a parks guy. Um, Sure, if made you, it out there to look that way. <laughs> yeah. If you've if you've read uh, any portion of his book, there's very little about the parks in there. It's just it's not his thing, and you can certainly make arguments that he's done other good things for the company. But uh, I just simply put, don't think he understands the parks. But that aside, uh, there's still valuable content in the in the most recent episode, uh, even though. The, the tone has definitely shifted. I mean, he um, needs like a Frank Wells. I mean, when you had Eisner and Frank Wells oh, yeah, together, yeah. you could see what was happening. And then when Frank Wells died, you saw what happened. Um, uh, the business decisions overruled the creative decisions, and we all saw how that ended up. And then when Iger came in, I don't think there is anybody, you know, he doesn't have like a creative number two that I'm aware of. <laughs> Yeah, if if we can if if we can take just a momentary jog back to I think it was episode three where Joe Rode was the the primary character, um, Rody, uh, Rody, yeah, you know, <laughs> pot- potato tomato. That was number four. <laughs> episode four. I, I think that he did an incredibly good job of articulating one of the things that the Disney company has done extraordinarily well, which is balancing the tension that exists between the business concerns of the company and the fact that the business is successful because of its creative endeavors. It's the creative things that they do that make the business possible. But there's this tension that, uh, you know, and this exists in every company. I don't, I don't care 
what it is that you do. There's this need to serve the customers and there's this need to maximize profit. And, and those are not generally in perfect alignment. There's, you know, one hap, you know, maximizing one happens at the expense of the other. And, and I think Joe Rody did a very good job of articulating the way that Disney throughout the years has, has approached balancing those things in a way that's been very successful. And then the next episode, you see Bob Iger come on. And at least with respect to the parks, the fact is, this is a guy who has failed miserably at that, in my opinion. Right. And, you know, a quote that I, I mentioned to Tim uh, and Ben offline in chat, it's a famous quote that, you know, when the only tool you have is a hammer, you see every problem as being a nail. Right. And, and Bob Iger is an IP guy. He's a, you know, he, he was a CBS guy. He's, you know, a, a television guy. So it's not surprising to me that he tends to see IP as being the solution to any, uh, you know. He, he doesn't hide it. He flat out says it. Yeah, uh, and he, there's one line in episode five where I think he, I, I don't want to misquote him here, so I'm going to sort of admit I've got that an I'm actual paraphrased. quote if you want it. It's essentially that there's no need to show reverence to what already exists in the parks. It's like, <laughs> well, at least I think that's sincere, because that's certainly consistent with the actions that I've seen him take. But I, I don't agree with it. And you know, it's funny, I, like I'm a corporate attorney, I teach entrepreneurship at a university, I, I, I'm, I tend to be very impressed by people who I perceive as being charismatic, uh, inspired business leaders, despite the fact that they're much, much, much more wealthy than I'll ever be. And Bob Iger simply is not one of those guys. He's never been one. I don't think he's a charismatic leader. I don't think he's passionate about anything that I care about. I, I think he's very much like Tim Cook, who was J Steve Jobs' successor at mm -hmm. Apple. He's a money guy. Uh, you know, He's good at pleasing Wall Street. He's good at building market cap. But He's I good think, at calculated risks, is what it comes down to. But I think but, with the parks, I don't know that he knows how that works. Yeah, what Steve Jobs' philosophy, and you know, I, you don't have to take my word for it. You can listen to interviews with him, assuming he's being sincere, which I think he was. He was a person who believed that if you did great things, that the business would take care of itself. Yep. And I think Elon Musk is a person who is that way as well, despite the fact that he built a truck that looks like a fucking Reebok shoebox. <laughs> um, you know, and Bob Iger's just not one of those guys, in my, in my opinion. And it's just, there's nothing about this guy that I find to be inspirational, charismatic, uh, or interesting. And I think that the parks have really suffered under his leadership, despite the fact that we're going to talk about some pretty awesome things that they've built in Galaxy's Edge, uh, you know, under his reign. When you, you still employ, in theory, the most creative people in the world or amongst the most creative people in the world. So uh, even with constraints of you need to be tied to this intellectual property, there's still there's still going to be passion. But we've talked about this on here that if if you hamstring people too much, then the level of passion uh, for a project is going to be shown in the final res result. Sure. So um, the, the quote that I was going to take, this was actually going back to August of 2014 at a fiscal year earnings call. Uh, As we spend money at the parks on new attractions that are based on known intellectual properties and brands, the likelihood of their success is greater. So when we increase Toy Story's presence or other Pixar presence, when we put Frozen in the parks, when we grow Star Wars presence, which we will do significantly, when we do it with Princess, for instance, you're going to see, I think, basically better bets being made that pay off. They are more likely to pay off for us than some of the bets that we make in the past. And to me, the word quality doesn't appear anywhere in there. Yeah. And that is fundamentally the issue. You can tie things back to intellectual properties and you can look at uh, what opened in Galaxy's Edge. Uh, Smuggler's Run has flaws. Uh, people love it, but 
the quality is significantly better in Rise of the Resistance, and both are Star Wars attractions. Star Wars isn't the only uh, deal breaker for why Rise of the Resistance is receiving nothing but positive reviews. But it's a quality. There's, there's still cutbacks <clears throat> in that area, despite how great you know the one oh, attraction absolutely. is. There's always going to be cutbacks, and, and you know it kind of goes against really what the first episodes of the Imagineering story was, where you know you saw Walt and them, you know. Put put every effort into it. There were no there were no visible cutbacks during that time period. They found a way to make every idea work. And yeah, I disagree with that, but go ahead. I didn't interrupt you, but I want to come back to that. Go ahead. I, I don't think that that was ever the case. I think that there are always constraints, and the reason that you start with the blue sky meeting mm-hmm. is because you're going to inevitably have to have the next meeting where you put constraints and you bring pragmatism into that so that you 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 take the the core hopefully the kernel the spirit the heart of the idea that you had when you had no boundaries <laughs> and then you find a way to implement implement it within the confines uh, of of the financial and other you know logistical limitations that are in place because there's always limits there and i think that's one of the things that Walt was tremendously good at was he was able to extract the creative spirit of his Imagineers as though there were no limits. And then despite the fact that he and Roy knew there were limits, they were able to build something which kept and preserved the most important parts of that. Um, but, you know, if you look at the original Disneyland, it opened with an almost non-existent Tomorrowland. If, if right. money were no object, that wouldn't have been the case. That wasn't what Walt wanted. But there was this ability to sort of triage, you know, imagine a, this is a stupid analogy, but imagine a terrible accident scene, right? You've got people that have broken arms, you have people that are bleeding profusely, they all need help, right? All of it's important, but they're not equally important. And the, the ability to, to manage that situation well means that in a, in a very accurate and hopefully time sensitive way, you're able to, to figure out where to direct the resources that you have because there's some things that you could do later, and there's some things, some things that you just have to do right now. And I think Walt was a master at that, and I think he was a master at that largely because he had Roy at his side. And I think there's a strong ama- analogy to be made between the dynamic that existed between Walt and his brother, and the dynamic is, that existed between Eisner and Frank Wells. And we, you know, you sort of see the consequence of losing either of those people in that equation, and it's really bad because right. it's 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 true synergy. It's a word that I hate. I teach all my students to avoid buzzwords because they mean everything and nothing at the same time. But it's a situation where the sum of the parts or, you know, the, the total is greater than the sum of its parts. And that's what you see with these sort of, you know, dynamic duos as they are. Um, you know, with, with Iger, though, you, you don't really see that. What you, what you really see is it's sort of the Roy without Walt. Um, and, and hopefully what you have is a culture that was built in Imagineering, which is able to, you know, persevere despite the fact that there are these, you know, strong economic and business concerns being thrust upon them as perhaps seeming the most important at times. Um, you know, if there's, if anything is amazing and a testament to the culture that Walt built, it's that the company yeah. did as well as it did after he passed, after Frank Wells passed. You know, we still have this incredibly successful company that, let's face it, is still doing wonderful things. And we're being the most picky of picky in that we're saying that despite the fact that what they're doing, we're not saying what they're doing sucks. We're saying that despite how good what they're doing is, it could be better. Uh, and I think that's what we're all about. And I, I've gotten emails from people and messages on Facebook you know, saying, and, and when we did Kingdom Cast, we had a person write a PhD dissertation about whether or not, and Tim was a big part of this too, whether or not we were actually fans because of the way that we criticized it. And it, it's it's sort of interesting to think that to some degree, our love for these places 
is what fuels our perhaps pedantic, uh, you know, uh, you know, familiarity breeds contempt. Yeah, there you go. Thank you for saving me. That. <laughs> now, what do you think about Kim Irvine's comment about things getting stale and having the plus one with IP? That bother anybody at all? Yeah. Was the context there the subs? If I remember well, correctly, that's what they used. But I mean, the, it was a general talk, comment. Yeah, and they talked about like temporary overlays, like the the haunted mansion thing. I went on that this Halloween. And that's great, and it's cool because it's not there all the time. Right. Um, and right. that's in that case, that's a seasonal thing. Perfectly fine with it. Stuff like Jack Sparrow and stuff and Pirates of the Caribbean. They're trying to talk about oh how it's so great, how they plussed you know uh, Small World with characters and stuff like that. Well, I mean, I've never read their Small World without the characters out there, so I don't know you know what the difference is if they did it to ours. I'm sure it would be more noticeable. I don't know that it plussed anything. Um, d- I don't know what the data is on a small world now. Like, are the lines twice as long now that they've shoehorned Donald Duck and stuff like that in there? <laughs> I mean, I, I don't see that as being a plus. The submarines, uh, the story I heard out there at Disneyland was that they wanted to get rid of them. And so Imagineers came up with an idea and they knew that, you know, shoehorning IP and stuff would save, Gets literally save the attraction. Yeah. And so they did it. And if you go on those subs now, yeah, they have Finding Nemo in it, but like, you can still go through most of it and it's not like as heavy as they did with the season Nemo and friends where it's like, that's all it is pretty much is finding Nemo stuff. Like it's there, but they also, there's like a good eight minutes additional ride that isn't in the Nemo ride. That's effectively what it is. Yeah. I mean, look, the Mona Lisa was painted in 1503. It's, it's been the same for a long time. Anybody yeah, else you, have some fun facts that they want to share? <laughs> you don't hear anyone arguing for the notion that we should go, you know, paint a mustache on her in order to, to you know, make it more contemporary. Uh, and if I, I think that a lot of these attractions are works of art. That's right. what separates a theme park from an amusement park is that these things have something more to them um, than their constituent parts. And you know, I, I don't necessarily agree with the notion that because they've been the same for a long time, that they need to be changed. Um, well, I mean, counter argument to that, though, is like what is that there needs to be some things that aren't sacred. And I re- recognizing that uh, like attractions, uh, attractions are a uh, uh, a work of art. And I, I we talked about this in the last show. I, I definitely agree with that sentiment. And I believe I talked about like walking through the Louvre. So your Mona Lisa uh, comparison that I just shed on is not far off. But <laughs> the um, the we talked we we talked about Frozen on here. Frozen Ever After. Uh, we probably were all fans of Maelstrom, but Maelstrom was by no means any of our favorite attractions, and I don't think the attraction itself was sacred. I think had I, 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 think, I, think, I think had they updated Maelstrom with something that wasn't frozen, I think we'd be more receptive to it. And Maelstrom was a phenomenally good B-roll attraction. Yeah. It was you, it was know, not an anchor attraction, and it's it was something, not, it's an attraction that the, the parks needed. Those well, it was an you anchor know, for Norway. But I think that's what made it great. I remember as a kid walking through, and I promise there'll be a point here. One of the things that I always Why found fascinating about Epcot <laughs> is that you didn't necessarily, there was a lot of surprises. You know, a lot of attractions were hidden in buildings that didn't look like they had yep. a ride in them. Yeah, Circle Vision. It, right. Uh, right. Even Canada. Circle Visions. 
And, and that was really, you know, as a kid, especially that reveal was phenomenal because I thought I was getting dragged by my grandparents into a store to go shopping with my grandma and holy crap, there's a ride there. You know, and you go into, you know, granted there was a little, there was the peekaboo part of the boat coming out of the rock work there. But for the most part, that was a relatively innocuous entrance. You didn't really know what you were signing up for. And you're in a building, all of a sudden you're on a boat ride. You know, it's these little little sort of, you know, splendid surprises that just delight you. Uh, That's a lot of what Epcot was. And, you know, when you go for the over the top thing where, particularly in a world where, you know, there's an internet, it's very hard to surprise people anyway. So maybe that's the problem. Maybe you can't do that anymore. But, uh, you know, when you, when you turn that into Frozen, which is the hallmark attraction, which is the reason that a huge number of people are going to Epcot, and I realize that's a strong, you know, defense of why they would do it, uh, you know, that surprise element is certainly removed. The uh, there, there is an article that I wrote years ago, and I I think swear sort of got I call back to this every damn episode we do of this show. Um, but the line I, I put in here is that the appeal of intellectual property based attractions is simple and it's childlike. It's basically like what do people gravitate towards? They gravitate towards the familiar, and our objection to uh, the intellectual property based attractions uh, in lieu of quality is it preys on familiarity over quality. And those types of things, uh, you said that you have attraction buildings that are hidden, but go back to that childlike comment and see what kids gravitate towards. They gravitate towards what they can see. They'll look at Seven Dwarves Mind Train and see that. And there's nothing against Seven Dwarves Mind Train, but kids can see it and physically comprehend what is going to take place in that ride. Whereas something like Space Mountain, they see it and it's potentially daunting to them and they don't want to go in there. But but those uh, kids eventually turn into adults. And exactly, what, sort of, what sort of experience breeds that love and nostalgic connection that keeps them coming back? And that's a big part of what Disney's, the Parks Division's success is built on. It's not that adults are experiencing it for the first time. It's adults are bringing their kids there because of the connection that they had established when they went there as kids. And I, you know, I continue to wonder what that's going to look like in 20 or 30 years because I think a lot of the glue that created that, that connection has been removed this goes to the risk averse component of everything that uh that Iger does where he he'll take risks but they're very calculated you look Mm -hmm. at the slate of movies it's all known entities and doesn't mean that they're not producing uh quality movies i mean i love the uh the marvel movies uh, as much as anybody for example but was um, he in power and mars Teen bomb came out well that's the thing they switched over to uh uh the guy that headed warner brothers as the uh the head of the studio and then the the shift after the failure of John Carter and Mars Needs Moms and those types of movies where they put money into blockbusters that, yes, John Carter had a, had a book tied to it, but uh, they put money uh, in less known properties. Um, they've since shifted that to the remakes of everything and things that they may not necessarily be, um, they're, they're safe is effectively what they are. And they're making money and that's, that's they're happy with it. So. Do you think we'll get a Mandalorian movie or do you think it'll just stay a TV show? Uh, they've they've already got a second uh, season, so uh, I think that's probably the model for that show. But um, you never know. I think they're trying to figure out what to do with Star Wars, to be honest with you. And this is the first uh, uh, thing that was successful with Star Wars. I'm not that the other ones weren't successful, but like got critical acclaim uh, after a couple of missed movies. So they may go this route from uh, from future projects. Uh, circling back on the Imagineering story a little bit. Uh, 
talking about attractions as works of art, I will say in this last episode, the only thing that I actually really enjoyed on it was when they were talking about the construction of Radiator Springs Racers. They talked yeah. to the Imagineers that and the time and the, the, the rock work and the painting and the artisans that they flew in from all over the world to do that. I love seeing it taken down to that that uh, low of a level to, to actually get into those areas outside of just sucking up to Iger and the other Imagineers who thought this was going to be a great ride. I so I wanted to see more of that. Uh, oh, absolutely! In in these shows, and I think if you go back to when we first started talking about uh, this show uh, when Disney Plus first launched, we nailed it. We 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 predicted exactly what was going to happen. Unfortunately, oh, yeah. that they were not afraid to show <laughs> the warts of the company pre Iger regime, uh, and even. Those Did first- we specify that John Henschlein that he liked DCA better as a parking lot? We may have said it because <laughs> I, 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 I think we actually show. did. Honestly, I, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> We haven't talked. We haven't had an episode since like the I- uh, Eisner Paul Pressler episode, and you know, yep. granted they they treated them with kid gloves, uh, to be honest. But there were certain parts, especially when they were talking about how terrible DCA launched. I loved that kind of stuff. Yeah. They they weren't afraid to really get into the ugliness of it. But unfortunately, yep. that all ended at the start of this last episode when I when they get into Iger taking over as CEO and the kind of the BS. I don't know if it's BS. It seemed like BS lines about him being in Hong Kong and noticing the Pixar and how I'm just going to go buy Pixar. And it, it, it just, everything was putting yeah. him up on such a high pedestal that I don't even know how eager I am to see this season finale, because if that's what you're we got watching this, it, please, I, I, I'm going to watch it, but it's, it's, <laughs> What they're already predicting the the, the the tease on it is about all about Shanghai and how it's how it was his dream master Iger's dream masterpiece or whatever and and the whole thing is going to be put. I, I don't want to hear about Iger's side of everything. I want to hear about the Imagineers and, and the effort and the time they put into it. But they, we've already started taking that slant of Iger being a you know the 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 savior of everything that was wrong beforehand. So it'll you be interesting it. to see how they wrap it up. Yeah. But that just turned me off with this last episode, and I'm I'm afraid it's gonna. Well, for, yeah, the, it, for the first four episodes, my my thought was how in the world did they pull off being so critical? And then yep. episode five, it's like look at the mess that Eisner inherited, yep. and yeah, it's like yeah. oh, I can't believe I didn't figure it out sooner. Like of course yep. that's how they did it. You know, he's fucking the. By they should have if they really wanted to be honest about what episode. Five Five was they should have lowered him out of a fucking cloud because yep. they presented him like he was the fucking messiah. And the so teaser basically a, says it though. You're exactly right. And so I guess just the overall look when we look at these six episodes, I would have loved for this at the end to, to be able to say this is the greatest documentary I've ever seen. But it, it gets it's going to be off on that kind of disingenuous ending to it that's going to take it down a bit of a notch. The the first four episodes I think are fantastic. So but, Bob Iger was there in Club Thirty Three mining his own business, turning water into wine <laughs> when he heard that the parks needed help. <laughs> so I mean, we, we're looking at like the the tone of the Iger aspect of it. And let's let's be a little bit honest with this, though. Ben, you're saying the greatest documentary ever made. We could probably take out 20 minutes of it. And assuming that, like, episode six falls in line with episode five with similar praise for Bob Iger, and there's no mention of uh, the missing $800 million that went with Shanghai, yep. and the word grifting isn't used anywhere in the, in the episode. <laughs> and, and what, the, 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 are they, are they going to talk about the failure next gen? Hell um, no. I mean, I'm, no. I'm going to assume that those things will not be yeah, mentioned. Right. No. Um, and so but, that's, that's not a true – that's, that's but not if it, a – If it is, let's, Leslie Iwerks – 
is the most awesome <laughs> yep. personal. If episode seven is WTF, my magic plus, I'll be like, holy shit. I'm and, they sh- and they show the uh, Pandora photo of people photoshopped oh, yeah. out. They sh- yeah, exactly. They yeah, sh- and they talk about the pattiness, edited them out of the photo and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah. Talking to them about not getting the rights to Harry Potter the, and how they the, screwed that up. So why don't we actually, cut. why don't we predict episode six then before we go into, um, before we go into Rise of the Resistance with episode six, uh, we know that they're going to be talking about Shanghai um, and they're going to be praising Shanghai, but there, there's going to have to be some level of negativity. There was negativity nope. in, ha- in Hong Kong. Nah, it's going to be mouth hugs nope. all around. Shay, I'm going to say, I'm going to make one <laughs> prediction of negativity. <laughs> I think, I think they have Joe Rody saying that he didn't want to do Pandora at the outset. I think he says that, but then comes around on it. That's my it, guess. That, that he's going to say that. And that's going to cut to Iger saying, I told Joe that this was going to be a fantastic idea. And I was right. I don't think it'll be that. Do but, they do they mention my magic plus in a positive no. way at all no, or in a negative all. way? No, not I wouldn't have been in this episode. I would have been in this episode. The next one's gonna be all about the future, right? Yeah, so you gotta do Shanghai. You'll probably you might see a teaser of We're gonna um, show the Epcot stuff, definitely. Of Epcot. Uh They'll yeah they'll they'll show Star Wars and I'm sure the timing was deliberate so that at least Rise of the Resistance was open. Have you guys been watching the little bonus thing? It shows you what's going to be the next episode. It's like a 30 second clip of what's going to happen in the next. I'm episode. usually in the bathroom by then. No, <laughs> I will say just that this is not related to anything. But the footage of the earthquake at Tokyo Disneyland, where it's a small world where the water's sloshing around like a yeah, kiddie pool. Yeah, That was incredible. Yeah, like yeah. holy crap! Like I've seen you know video of nuclear power plants there explode. I'm like, okay, but for some reason, just seeing something like that, I have such familiarity with, with that much movement. And it was very visually uh, impactful. Okay. I think they should have that. I I definitely agree. I definitely agree. Um, Why don't we step away from the Imagineering story unless you guys have other points on it? Yeah, I'm good. Okay. Uh, this brings us over to Rise of the Resistance. As I'm sure all of our listeners know, uh, the attraction opened December 5th. Uh, our beloved Gary was able to ride it December 6th, correct? Yeah, I was there on December 5th, but I, <laughs> in typical I fashion, uh, <laughs> I was there. Did Brian Williams get a uh, better boarding pass than you? Well, I, saw the, I was watching videos of people that were lined up outside and they weren't letting people in. There was, you know, lines all that. Full disclosure, most of the time when these new attractions open, I usually CM previews. I'll ride the thing 10 times before it ever opens to the public. But yep. these things are cutting it so close now that they don't even have those. I mean, cast members are blocked out from even going into the park until January 31st at the earliest, with the exception of the ones that work in MGM. So none of that happened. And yep. I was going to go over there and wait. And I'm like, eh, I didn't know about the virtual queue or anything like that. So I'm just like, yeah, whatever. They didn't I'll publicize it. I roll over, I'll get a dash, and I'll be fine. That's how it always worked before. And uh, that's not how it worked out. I mean, I did get over there at like 8.30 in the morning. And I got boarding group 143 or something like that. Um, and, you know, I had the luxury of just being able to leave after a little bit. But there's a lot of people in the community that were there. So we were just all hanging out and talking and everything. And everybody was waiting to get on. And. Uh, I left, came back, was hanging out at Docking Bay 7 for a couple hours, and um, eat my Felicio garden salad. And <laughs> <laughs> I don't and, think that's the preferred number. I know they changed the names a few times. I don't think that was ever the, na- the name. <laughs> it is one of the best dishes uh, in MGM, though. But anyway, so yeah, I mean, and then I get a text saying that, you know, we're 
we're not boarding any more groups for a day or for the rest of the day. Here's a comp ticket and a fast pass. And there was was some confusion. I know Tim and I went back and forth on this. Uh, but Len Testa said he heard the same thing, and if he said it, it's gospel. Yep. So, because <laughs> uh, with the fast pass, the cast members obviously there's people that are mad. So like to get into the rise to resistance, it was a roped off area in front of the entrance to the ride. So you had to get you needed to use your boarding pass to get into that area and then if you wanted a dash so you didn't have to wait in the queue, the entire queue, let's say it could be twenty to sixty minutes is what they were saying. You could get a return time so you wouldn't have to wait in that. Why you'd want to do that, I don't know because it's all new. I mean you always have to go through the queue the first time, whatever people have medical reasons. You you may not be physically able to, that's exactly. the reason. <laughs> exactly. So anyway the cast members were telling people the fast pass they were getting to come back the next day, yeah, you can get right on after you get your boarding group. And everybody's like, I wait, just waited 12 hours, technically, and you're, and you're telling me to tr- come back and try again tomorrow to get in another boarding group for me to use my fast pass. Turns out that the fast passes they give you, they just let you right on. I think so, that was the intent, but I think there was some confusion among some, cast members. Yeah, some, and that's... Yeah, yeah, okay. gonna, the people at guest services and the people at the attraction were not on the same page, apparently. Right. right. They were standing right next to each other, so it shouldn't have been a problem. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they were getting screamed at by people. Well, I'm the speed just, of light and all. So, thinking, so day two... You, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, but you, you, yeah. you do get on day two, right? Yeah, I went over there right in the morning, and okay. uh, I got to ride three times. I, I kind of got one of those, like, you know, we're going to play Monopoly, and you get, like, bank and error in your favor, collect $200. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so... I go now, in. Josh has a way with words, but Gary also has a way with words. <laughs> so I, I go to use my fast pass, and, I, and uh, the lady's like, Yeah, just go over to the tent and tell them I told her I was here last night. I didn't get to ride because I didn't. Space tent. Yep. <laughs> and then I go, Yeah, I got a fast pass. I didn't get to ride last night. And she goes, Okay, yeah, just go right in. No big deal. So I'm like, All right. I mean, I don't know. You know Did they scan anything? No. Okay. <laughs> so, you know, well, they scan, but like, um, I have no issue with people being opportunistic. Yeah. I went through and, and you know, I don't know. I was just, I went through the entire queue and um, it came, I mean, I'm going to get into the ride and all that, but yeah, they didn't scan anything. So when I came out, I still had my new boarding group for that day on the okay. 6th, my fast pass that I could still use. And so like, so I got to go through three times that day. It was great. So not only did I get the free ticket the fast pass the night before, and I was, don't get me wrong. I was bummed out. I didn't get the ride opening day. Uh, but it worked. It worked out the next day. And so, um, so, tell us about the ride experience. Yeah, I mean, the first thing I can say about it is that this feels like they took every trick in Imagineering and put them together, like everything they perfected, whether it's Pepper's Ghost or you know little simulators and free falls and stuff like that. Just yeah. every little projection effect. Um, scrims, you know, where it looks like a solid wall and then a letter will appear behind it, look like damage and stuff like that. They mastered it all together and the best experience. Now, people ask me, it was better than Haggard's. I think Haggard's, if it just ride to ride, like just the ride portion alone to ride, Haggard's is pretty cool. But the entire experience of Rise of the Resistance is better than anything I've ever done with the exception of Carousel Progress, but that's... <laughs> <laughs> For me, it's just because of the history of Carousel Progress. There's but so many young people just angrily typing on their keyboards oh, I know. right now. <laughs> I don't care. I mean, do, you know, it's... We're allowed to have our favorites. It doesn't necessarily mean, like, it, it, 
irregardless, yeah. which isn't a word. Nice. Of, Thank like, you. Uh, I'm of, typing angrily on my keyboard now. <laughs> Dear sometimes Kenna, I do that it. just to piss off Josh. Uh, <laughs> so reg- regardless of like our personal affinity towards an attraction, in theory, we can be objective enough about something and say, all right, this just hits all the boxes. This is artwork to the nth yeah. degree. This is the newest uh, Picasso, you know? Yeah. Well, and now that Carousel's an interactive attraction... Uh, <laughs> it, it's <laughs> actually interesting that that made news also. Somebody <laughs> jumping up on stage this weekend. But um, just from the point when you get in the queue and you're outside and you have the... Um, uh, you know the water feature or whatever and it's, it's kind of like the same rock work like they do and all over avatar and everything like that like it, it looks good it's the same you know what's kind of similar about it is you know um flight of passage how it's like they cut into the rock work and then there's metal doors and stuff inside what's kind of yeah, like yeah. what they did here it's kind of the same thing uh i wouldn't say over again but the queue is all right so i took like it's if he went through with an ECV, it's very tight. So I'm not sure how long that's going to last because there's a lot of switchbacks. I don't know if you watched the video of the entire queue, but there's a lot of like tight switchbacks to go back and forth and some rooms and stuff like that. If you had like one of the big rental ones, like the Cadillac ones, there's no yeah. way you're making those turns. It's just not happening. <laughs> so I those have things a feeling. Are huge. Yeah, I have a feeling they're like twice the size of a normal ECV because they're from like '98. But, like, I have a feeling that something's going to change there to where either, like, uh, they're going to have to go through the fast pass thing or they may, might make them get a wheelchair. But anyway, so you go through the queue. It's a very long queue. Um, I don't know how many people could hold or anything like that. I, I know that when it was at about a 60-minute wait, it, I was almost just about outside at one point. Um, but the queue is very well themed. No music or anything, just lots of sound effects. Uh, one disappointing thing is the Datapad app, which I'm a fan of. I know, and you know, I use it a lot. There's new missions and stuff to scan. It doesn't work in there. So they have all these boxes and everything you can scan and unlock and these new missions that you can do, depending on which faction. You start the mission when you're outside the, uh, the ride going in. You can either go in as for the resistance uh, at you know, because it's a resistance ride, or you can be an infiltrator uh, of the resistance where you pose as a resistance fighter to infiltrate the resistance base. But once you get inside, I guess it's, I don't know if it's because of the geolocation or, I mean, you have cell service, the app doesn't let you do anything at all. It just goes all gray except for translate, which there's, I don't think there's anything to translate (laughs) in there. Um, That's kind of disappointing because the app is a big part of the land, especially when you have, you put all these, Boxes. I imagine they'll fix that, but it's yeah. uh, I was going to say, it, that's that's a priority. Is, that, is that permanent or is that something? It seems like something could I think, add to I think relatively it's easily. Be fixed. I mean, maybe yeah. it just wasn't done yet. I don't know. I mean, there are much greater ops issues that need to be addressed ahead yeah, of that. Yeah, this this wasn't even a big deal. I mean, yeah. it, it really, I just wanted you know, like just so no, I don't be aware as part of it. Yeah, but anyway, so the the queue's got tons of props to it. And it, there's definitely so lots of CPAP machine parts in there that I noticed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a lot of old car parts. I think. How was your like, breathing? Could you breathe okay? Yes, it was, was alright. I'm a chronic think, snorer, so I'm glad to hear this. <laughs> it's like they hit like CPAP supply and like Big Jim's. <laughs> you pull it, uh, car parts, and, but they, they made it all work and it, it looks great. There's even a part too where you get into. Uh, like an archaeological dig site, like where there's pots and stuff coming. It's like, I guess they were digging through the soil and they hit uh, a dig site. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> and there's all these 
pots and stuff like that coming out of the wall. And then you get into the resistance, um, the first pre-show, and there's there's two of them. Like it splits kind of just like Haunted Mansion does. So I guess yep. that has something to do with capacity. And the ray effect in there when she shows up as a hologram looks mm-hmm. great. I mean, because do you they have put, any idea where the screen is in there? Yeah. So it, it looks like, and I'm not 100 percent sure how this, if this is how it works. But you know how they do the effect where they put, like, uh, in Journey of the Imagination, where they put a mirror so it, like, doubles what's, like... Uh, oh, okay. Yeah, like... Yeah. So that big metal thing on the ceiling, I can't tell if there's just a piece of glass coming, if it's an actual full circle, or if it's just a hmm. mirror or something, but behind it, because it could be, like, a two-way mirror thing or something, but behind it, you can see distance, and it's kind of like the tunnel curves, and because there's a effect of depth behind it, it makes it look like a hologram. Like, she shows up, and... The piece of glass or whatever they're using there is so clean that you can't see it at all. Um, so is it, is it like a different take on a Pepper's Ghost effect then? Because that doesn't sound like a standard Pepper's Ghost effect. No, I, I don't. Th- I don't know if it's Pepper's Ghost. I don't know if it's well. Pepper pe- normal Pepper's Ghost is a clear piece of glass, right? So it sounds like. Are you saying this is like partially mirrored to where it's reflecting something as well as? It looks like it may be partially mirrored, but at the same time, it's not reflecting. Like I was trying to look at it at different angles, it doesn't look like it reflects like the doors or anything in there. So I, I don't know. I think it's just a big piece of glass, but like it's it's very bright. Like where Pepper's Ghost and like Haunted Mansion and stuff, it's not that bright. I mean, obviously, they want you to be able to see through the ghost and everything. But did Tupac appear in anywhere in the <laughs> Yeah, I mean, is it honestly is it is it comparable to like the Musion Tech? Because that's effectively what the Tupac thing is, and, uh, and that is what they've used convincing. over Universal. Yeah, that's what it looks like i mean it's very vibrant and it looks like she's actually she's life-size so it looks like she's actually appeared there in front of you and did it does it, it doesn't necessarily look 3d like she's not like uh you know you can tell it's kind of flat right but okay. it would be cool if there were somehow if they're able to pull it out somehow to where she was but can you climb up there and see next time? <laughs> I can. You can once. Yes. <laughs> I assume if you take a flash picture, there'd be some kind of reflection, right? Whether That's it's a, a mirror or, or glass. And I, I don't want to encourage anyone to be that person. <laughs> no, I, I don't either. But if you are already that person, please send yeah, me the picture. For science. <laughs> if any of our listeners know how this effect is done and can specify it, please share yeah, it with the group. I think it's just a piece of glass, but I, I don't know where the reflection is coming from. Uh, but it works well. And it then sounds doors- like there's this type of stuff in every in every step of the way. Like, all right, how the fuck do they do that? How the fuck do they do that? <laughs> yeah, right. there's, there's and that's what you want to say. I have a friend who's an Imagineer, and they did a walkthrough not long ago, and they were telling me that there are several occasions. And this is a person who's in this industry mm-hmm. and was walking with the person who was responsible for the effect and was like, okay, how the hell did you do that? That's That's pretty... Yeah, that's pretty amazing to me. There's, there's definitely many. Spots like if you're on sitting in the audience of a magic show with a magician, and the magician is like, "What the fuck?" Yeah, like, yeah. That's a good. That's a good illusion. Yeah, there's a lot of that in this ride where you, you wonder how they did it, you know. And I felt like I haven't had that in a while. I mean, Smuggler's Round, we know how they did it, kind of. We, we, yeah. Last time I had that was in Tokyo when, uh, if you've ever seen pre-show video of their Tower of Terror, uh, there's a monkey statue that just disappears, um, and you're wondering how they did that. Uh, Is that the uh, Phantom Matter? No, it's, it's it's their Tower of Terror. It's uh, it's it's called Tower of Terror. It just has the Harrison High Tower Joe Rody figure as the, the guy um, from Lisa Academy. 
Yes, <laughs> yes. Uh, no, different, different guy. Sweet shot comes out. <laughs> but anyway, no, I mean, uh, in that same room, there's the BB-8 animatronic that comes out. And yes, by uh, nature of being a BB-8 animatronic, it rolls into the scene. But I'm assuming it is not untethered. Uh, so question for that is, how is it tethered? Because uh, yeah. it, it doesn't fully uh, go along an area where it's got a back that's unobstructed. So it's not like it's just tethered to the, uh, behind it like some of the AAs that kind of float. Um, like, say, Mary Poppins and Great Movie Ride, for it's, example. It's, it's higher than head height and, like, eye view. So, I mean, I'm assuming it's from the bottom somehow. From the base, but the way, yeah. I'm going to guess the, a 45-degree angle behind yeah. it is probably the likeliest. The way I'd say the, 46. <laughs> You're probably right. <laughs> well, for you protractor when you jump when you jump up there, <laughs> Gary, climb up there too and figure that out. I mean, it, it all a lot, just the first pre-show alone. You're like, oh, how'd they do this? You know, and it, <laughs> yeah, I haven't had that feeling in a while. And then the doors open, you're back outside again, and which is a great storytelling mechanism. Yeah, they just don't so, do that. Did you figure out? So one thing that Gary, you and I talked about was. Does the imagery in the ride change based on the time of the day that you go in? I don't know. I never rode at night. So when you get into okay. the transporter, I, w- I was wondering that because, like, I mean, it was brightest, you know, no cloud in the sky, bright blue sky. And when looking at the front window of the transporter, when you get inside, it was the same thing. Now, I know smugglers run when you take off at night, it's also nighttime because you're leaving Batu. I'd have to imagine if they did it for Smuggler's Run, they definitely would have done it for this. I mean, but I'm I thinking like, so. imagine if even, imagine if it's raining outside, a rainy day, that it's oh, raining. Yeah. Like there, because I, I, we're getting to the point with technology that you can cue into these really subtle things and it's amazing how good our brains are really, really good at pattern matching and detecting differences like that. You don't consciously recognize it, but you yeah. notice it. And when you can play into that, I think that the ability to get people to the suspend disbelief goes up dramatically. So, and I, and I know these people; these people study this for a living. They know a hell about yeah. a hell of a lot more about it than I do. So, I would imagine that that would be something they'd probably do. But I'd love to see that. Oh, it'd be awesome if uh, if the rain worked. If, if there was three different ones, you had you know you get those torrential skies. downpours in Florida. Yeah. Though. It's gonna yep. be, <laughs> yeah, hurricane like, mode where it's a lot more bumpy. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we. we Greg, uh, Greg, what's your name? Gary? Greg. <laughs> Greg. Uh, Gary, go get Greg, and uh, you and Greg can discuss the Greg. next pre-show, the uh, the ITS uh, shuttle. That's redundant because the, the S is, is for shuttle. Is that what it's called, the ITS shuttle? Yeah, the, the ITS, yes. That, that next pre-show room. And what's that stand for? I don't the know. The ITS shuttle. shuttle. <laughs> yes. Interplanetary the- Transport System. Thank you, Ben. Uh, that makes sense. I have no idea. I just made that up. That's what we pay you for. They didn't get for X1 on this one. <laughs> no, it's X300. Uh, but anyway, the, the, is that the an shuttle. X, is that an XS Tech product? You know? I don't believe so. I will okay. say, everything in the ride looks phenomenal. The only thing, the only fact that I saw, this is very minor, that I was disappointed with was that the turbo engines, or the, the engines on the ITS instead of using a fan because like you can hear them spool up and making them look like they actually go i mean they could have just used fan blades in there it would have been fine you don't mm-hmm. you don't have to turn it on they use this piece of plastic that looks like fan blades but not really it almost looks like a one of those like uh crappy santa like mold um plastic things like it's like a not very well done mold of turbine blades and when the engines pull up, you just kind of see like a blue light move around in there. I'm not sure why did they went with picture, that. Did you get picture or video of that? Is that on your? Uh, 
I mean, the 360 video, I bo- I have the camera on when I board the ship, so you might be able to see it, but it, it just does it for how dramatic that scene is and the engine start and everything. It's just a letdown looking over, and okay. it kind of looks like something they would have used on Space Mountain, like 75, to represent like a rocket engine or something like that, which would have been great if it was 1975. But that's that's really my only complaint of the whole ride. I wonder if they just ran out of time on that or something. Yeah, it just looks like they went to like Pet Boys, and, like, you know, put <laughs> some, one of those, like, you know, you know, people have the crappy minivans with the hubcaps, like the last minute thing. Yeah. Just kind of threw it on there. Uh, it, it's such a, if you put depth to those engines, uh, it would just add so much more to it. But they just, it's kind of, has like a plastic cover on it that lights up and it just doesn't look that good. Anyway, but once you go in, um, I thought you were going to go in. Uh, so if you're, what side's the right on the airplane, Josh? Is that starboard? Uh, uh, left is port. All right, right port, so, so just remember, left, left and port both have four letters. That's how I always remember. Because airplanes, we don't really use. That's a boating thing mainly. So yeah, so starboard, yeah. So whatever. So if you're facing the front of the the, uh, the ship, the doors you come in would be on the right. And I'm fully thinking that you, how this thing worked was that you'd go on the set of doors and you'd get transported, and then the other set of doors would open because there's you know. Um, double doors on the other side as well so we go in and the thing starts up and the fact that they use like a physical cockpit not just a screen even though that the the front of the actual front of the cockpit has screens for windows um and you have windows behind you and you have lights above you that all are in sync with each other like if you're going underneath a rock when you're pulling out a thing or if you're in the ship and the lights, the rows of lights in the hangar going by, it's all in perfect sync. So it feels like you're moving, and the floor is actually moving, too, because... It was, like, vibrating or something? No, it's moving. Like, it's not like, hey, it's going to throw you around, but, like, it's enough to where you would probably, like, I don't know, I should have held on to something. I felt like I was going to fall <laughs> yeah. over. Wow. But it, it, like, it rocks back and forth, and it shakes a little bit. It's not, it's not going to throw you on the ground, but it definitely moves. It's not... Um, like you know just a little vibration or anything like that uh, it kind of rocks a little bit it gives you this feeling that you've actually taken off and you can get the feeling of speed and everything and it doesn't matter if you're looking in the front there's a window in the back um it's just the whole thing just gives it this illusion it's my probably favorite part like i love this disconnects it's like they took the hydrolator or the lift and like put it on crack pretty much like and they plussed add, it yeah and they plussed it <laughs> With an IP, with an IP, and they actually, yeah. So, I mean, you just left. You were outside on the ground, and when the animatronic's head in the front moves, there's like a video screen of the pilot. I can't remember his name. Um, Nine, but like, yeah, it 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 moves the video screen as well as when you actually see it move, like in the front of the cabin and stuff like that. And then obviously you get abducted by the Imperial people. And they take you into like that the ship, and when that door opens, the same exact door that you just came in, um, and you're in a completely different area. And the the first order Nazi guys come in hot and start yelling at everybody to get out, and you're going to get interrogated and all this stuff. Uh, it's amazing when you walk in that room with when you're in and the that, starship. And that room rotates. Is that how that works? So yeah, that's what I've been trying to figure out. So I read today that it's on a big turntable. Okay. Yeah, there's so, three rooms that are identical. Uh, mm-hmm. there that rotate into place so uh, my understanding is that there is an access door between that that you rotate to uh, so like 
you rotate from the load position to the access door that would be unload if the thing were to break down, and then onto the Star Destroyer is the final position of it. And they give you time to take pictures and all that stuff, even though you know they're kind of, they're being dicks and yelling at you and stuff because they should be. You're under arrest and you're an right. enemy. And uh, that room's just so clean. We'll talk about the Fourth Amendment later. <laughs> yeah, and sterile and everything. Well, that doesn't apply to the Galactic Empire, so that's true. Uh, <laughs> Son of a I don't bitch. know how many. I don't know how many of them move. But I do want to get some rumors here. Uh, the skipper brought up about some of these being reused mannequins from the Great Movie Ride. <laughs> <laughs> now, you, did you make that up? Because. It, it seems no, plausible now. No, nah, of course uh, not. But maybe. She ripped maybe, it off. No, it could. No, <laughs> 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 because that, like, once you said that, I'm like, oh, dude, this is totally plausible. I mean, you it had all these be. mannequins the sitting there. is in the pose. <laughs> that's true. The dancer our, checks our, from the fountain scene. Yeah, <laughs> that's, yep. that's why all the stormtroopers' arms are straight up in the air, right? Yeah. <laughs> Bubbles wow. coming from the ceiling. <laughs> they you get arrested by one of the rock dance dancers. <laughs> <laughs> why don't you clarify what Ben's rumor was? Oh, it was that the so in the beginning of a great movie ride in Footlight Parade, you have all those dancers standing on like uh, different layers and stuff. Yeah, and so. He said that they used those as the stormtroopers because you had a bunch of mannequins already. That's a great fake rumor. I love it. Yeah, you know what? Somebody that made, that made go. some of Ben's best work. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. So I asked a question publicly to uh, you know humiliate myself, but also just get it out there. Did you um, see Buzzy anywhere in there? Bu- I did, Buzzy's in there. Yeah, he's he's in one of the stormtrooper outfits. Uh, but what Ben threw out there was. Uh, that one of the Kylo animatronics was the Wicked Witch, and uh, what was it that uh, Ingrid what Bergman f- and uh, or Candace Bergen? Because he looks more like Candace Bergen. Candace Bergen. <laughs> <laughs> Look at that so, uh, hum- Humphrey Bogart. And, yeah, uh, Humphrey Ingrid Bogart. Bergman were uh, um, Hux and Kylo. Yep, and then uh, that Finn was. Um, Sigourney Weaver. Sigourney, Sigourney Weaver. Weaver. Now, some of the poses are correct, but I guess uh, just from a pure technical standpoint, the evolution of animatronics that I believe both Kylo animatronics are what are called A1000 figures, mm-hmm. where uh, there's only a few of those. I think Hondo is one of them. Alan um, is the, one in uh, Universe uh, of Energy, and that's, oh, that's been opened up. Uh, no, that was an A100, not an A1000. Oh. Uh, I, so you're, you're, you're right in the sense that that's what damn. the witch was as well. Uh, I, these are the next I, evolution of it. I dare anybody to see that last Kylo AA and not see the exact movements oh, of the, of the I witch. Can't, I can't unsee it. Now, I yep. didn't think of that at the time. You're wearing a tarp, though. That's probably the reason why. The witch is wearing <laughs> yeah. a dress, and Kylo's wearing the, a pretty much the, a dress as well. The, same thing. the arm <laughs> movements are eerily similar. I, I'll yeah. say this, just as someone who's recycled hardware from time to time and worked on yeah. airplanes and stuff, I would imagine that that reusing that stuff is actually probably a lot of times way harder than just putting in something new. Just because Put a judicial the, road on uh, Elsa and she's going to look exactly the same as well. <laughs> <laughs> These things are probably not that portable. You know, like they're well, installed I, and they're. Door was able I mean, to you can get two one. guys to take one out of the back of. That's true. I mean, just need some bolt cutters and a fucking pickup truck. <laughs> they cut the hydraulic lines? <laughs> I mean, sure, oh. one was an NBA player. I'm not sure how the story went. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, so it, it's interesting that that Sigourney Weaver thing came up because when I was going up the lift the first time and I saw 
uh, I don't know the guy's name, Finn. but the storm, yeah, Finn. Finn. So he was standing there, leaning up against the wall. I was thinking in my head, I'm like, wow, this reminds me of a great movie ride because it was also in a spaceship down a corridor, and he was leaning up the wall. Like, that may be Weaver. deliberate. That may be yeah, deliberate. But it had that feeling, the way the light was shining on and everything. I don't yeah. know. And it could be different animatronic, but it definitely had that feel of um, maybe it's just because they were kind of the same, you know, sci-fi space genre. Yeah. I don't know. But um, I wouldn't, su- wouldn't really surprise us if that was a deliberate nod. I mean, yeah, uh, there, there's sort of a composite. Uh, there's a compromise here too, which is that even if it's not the same hardware, it might have been based off the same design. Yeah, it could mm-hmm. be the same mold for the for the chest and. I mean, know, just same engin- like engineering all of those components and how they work together to make the angles and the joints and everything move. I mean, th- there's certainly reason to reuse yeah. the investments that you've already made. So right. I-, I could definitely see that. Yeah. Well, we're kind of jumping ahead here anyway. So <laughs> yeah. so t- take take us through uh interrogation. You've got room. the you've got the, the yeah. massive room. Like how do, try see if you can find a way to equate that massive room to anything else on property. You ever been an airplane hangar before? Like an actual airplane hangar, not like yes. you know, yeah, yeah. So that's the scale, the size of it because your ship that you just left in which was pretty massive when you got in it and boarded it, is now in this room, and it looks very... You can turn around and see it, and maybe this they made the scale of it smaller just to make that room look bigger, but now it's dinky. It's not even halfway up to the... You know, this probably not even quarter of the way up to the ceiling. And all the pictures... I mean, you got to use the wide angle on your iPhone, and if you got a program, I don't know what you use, but, um, like... Even on the razor, the widest setting, <laughs> it's hard to get it all just that screen into one shot. Yeah, and it's even on, get, even in photographs, that room translates as being incredibly awesome. Yeah. yeah. So, so it's the size of pirates, like Jim Hill said, right? That's right. Wait, wait, he said it, it does look massive. He said the that room was the size <laughs> he, of the entire. He said that room alone was the, pirates. Oh, the entire attraction. Yeah. No, no, no. The the queue. The, 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 he the, said the, that the room, room the, that hangar was the size of all of Pirates of the Caribbean. I I don't know. It could be. It feels pretty large. Uh, I it's amazing. Like when you walk in there, I mean, that's everybody's jaw drops. You just get in there and, and like it's like you're in the movie. And I think the actors play a big part of that too. Because the Resistance one, yeah. I mean, they can, you can kind of put whatever. They're more. They're, they're not really into it. They're just kind of like, hey, you know, hey, we're part of the Resistance. Thanks for joining us. But these guys got the English accents. They got the Nazi uniform. It, it's the whole thing just works. Uh, and they're yelling at you. If you're in an ECV, you have to switch. You have to transfer it to a wheelchair at this point, or you can stand yeah. so you can't take ECVs through there. Uh, probably because you have to go in the jail cell and all that stuff. Do they but, tell you um, to Chanel? <laughs> yeah, they tell you uh, that they ask you in character if you want to be interrogated in your land speeder or not. Uh, you're going through, or you can transfer okay. it to a wheelchair. But then you're waiting in a line that's not that long again. But like you know, down the Imperial ship corridor, and then they split you up once you get to like I guess I don't know. You'd say like the, you know where the the holding cells are. They split you up into different groups, and you get thrown in jail pretty much. And they tell you to line up against the wall and stuff like that. So like it's kind of like I don't know if you guys have been in jail before, but it's kind of like being in jail. <laughs> No, no, but uh, just for that they, animatronic theft. But other than that, yeah. Well, well, so they have you line up against the wall, and then there's obviously people filming, and they're like, you know, I don't know why you'd want to film the uh, the the resistance demise and stuff like that, and um, 
uh, you know, not, they don't understand why you're so eager to get into jail cell or stuff. I don't know. They just make comments and stay in character. I'm sure that it's different in every video. I never got anybody who repeated the same thing, but it also just opens. So I don't know. I mean, yeah, yeah, that's fair. Uh, so, did you spoil any of this before you went into the ride? Like, were you what were you familiar with before the ride? Experience? Just the ride part. Okay. Uh, I, there wasn't a lot of videos from the media event, at least that I saw. Maybe I didn't go look for them that showed the entire queue, all the pre-shows, the transporter. Uh, getting yelled at in jail. The stormtrooper <laughs> scene. The jail scene. And most the stormtrooper scene was spoiled, I think. Yeah, well, yeah, everybody showed that. But people skipped all the stuff in between, and it's yeah. all important. From the minute you walk in that line until you're walking out the exit, it's the whole thing's an experience with yeah. multiple pre-shows. And like I said, the disconnect takes you back to something like the hydrolator, but you're on crack. It's way, way better than the hydrolator. Can we talk I about mean, the stormtrooper for a second? Okay. Yeah. How, how many of those anima- How many of the stormtroopers are what you would consider to be an animatronic that are We're actually ask- animated in some way? And We're I'm asking not asking for this. A- yep. Asking this- for a friend. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I don't know. I don't. You can't. There's so many of them there. Um, I don't. So know. many. That's not going to work for Tim. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, let's, let's go over what's, it. What's and the winning number you need here to win? I think it needs a hundred. Irrespective of that. <laughs> The, the number that was given uh, was that there are 50 animatronics and uh, that looks about right the what you're gonna you're gonna be the first one or next one in there again uh, as far as I can tell there are three rows of 14 and I the, love that as far as my quick cursory glance goes there's three rows of 14 uh, I, I can, there, there's there's three rows and there's 14 in the first row that's what I can tell I can't definitively count rows two and three based on any video that I've seen. I mean, if so, I were the Joe Rody balancing of business interests and creative interest, I would yeah. not animate every one of those. I would make yeah. every fifth one move and your brain is going to fill in the blanks. But at the same time, the, the figures themselves, all they really need is a, is a subtle head move. And yep. uh, I guess the, the term and whether it's an official term or not is minimatronic um, that, if that'll have just that movement where like, yes, you've got an entire humanoid figure and a very small portion of it moves. But like, regardless of Derek and my bet, let's set that aside. Uh, I, I would like somebody to kind of confirm that it's three rows of 14 there. Then to the left of that, there's, I believe four more that aren't in uh, the alignment and then two more to the right of it if I'm not mistaken, and then two more later down as you get closer to the interrogation rooms. There's two more in the cell area. There's also... Um, that gets me to 50. Yeah. So when you first get off the transporter, the you also have the one... <laughs> all right, so they have one mock ride vehicle sitting there that also has yes. an animatronic in front of it, and so you got that one. That only counts know. as one, the entire attraction. Yeah, just, just to be Just to be clear, I, don't, I really don't want to spend too much time harping on it. <laughs> If if the Jim, you 50, don't get a choice on this. If the fifty <laughs> animatronics if the fifty stormtroopers move, I think I win. If they don't, then I lose. That's that's what it is. But I want to know like what the arrangement of the uh, uh, AAs in that room or the um, the stormtroopers in that room are. And I think if somebody can go in there and just basically count the second and third row and confirm that it's four, uh, three right. rows of fourteen. That's also counting the audio animatronic in front of each ride vehicle as individual. Yes, that's another debate, and this is not the e-ticket report podcast. So, <laughs> so I, so you see a couple of their heads move and stuff like that. I don't know that any like you know kind of lean like you know to 
you know, the third one still. in the second row does a little bit of a pelvic thrust. I've heard. Yeah, one to justice, junk. One is Rutherford B. Hayes in the stormtrooper outfit. One on the back row sings "Singing in the Rain." <laughs> could be a movie ride prop. Yeah, could, sure. be. Could, could be. be. Could be. He does have an umbrella. <laughs> but really, space rain. <laughs> I don't know how many of them do or don't. It, it, it doesn't matter. Um, <laughs> I just I love like the, the, level, the level of uncomfort and that Tim the is experiencing ye- right now. It's giving me pleasure. Is that shot in front? When you ask him, too. I'm just letting you know right now. When you yeah. Ask yeah. Uh, anyway, so uh, moving on. I, you guys <laughs> really to to move on. I don't know if you know who I am, but I'm Tim Grassi of the E-Ticker Report. I have a little bit of no, a friendly wager. Every time I've been on First Ride, he's asking about capacity and all this stuff. This cast members don't know. Well, the you cast members will know capacity. but the, what, the person who stands up front scanning fast pass is going to know the capacity. Because uh, they're, they're rotating in and out, and they're probably seeing what they're getting and probably getting... For an attraction they're, like this, they're, they're, they're absolutely getting, they're getting hourly capacity numbers. From I'm, who? I'm sure of it. It's probably on their system. I've uh, yeah, seen they, like they, that keeps track for sure. Yeah. So uh, I mean, it, look, we can discuss that because it's probably getting about fifty percent of what it's capable of right now. Uh, Len threw out some numbers. What did you say? Fifteen hundred to twenty-two hundred. That's hour, what I, I think. Recall. Yeah. I'm sure, um, yeah. So I, I think realistically is sixteen to eighteen hundred, and to do that, uh, just uh, uh, raw numbers standpoint, there are four detention rooms each lead into uh, two vehicles, which can each hold eight people. So the two vehicles dispatch at the same time, right, Gary? Yeah, the two vehicles, yep. So in order to get to 1645 an hour, you need 35-second dispatches. Not from each detention room, but from... Stacks. Like one of the four detention rooms (laughs) needs to dispatch every 35 seconds. And to get to 2200, you got to do 26 seconds. Here's what I can tell you. I've been in that line with... I've gotten that queue when it starts right outside and have had it go all the way through without messing up. That line moves. I mean, you're, it's like, you know, you might stop for, if nothing goes down, you might stop for like maybe two minutes at the most, but it just keeps constantly moving and moving and moving and moving. And with having that many pre-shows, that's pretty good because usually the pre-shows are kind of like a bottleneck, like Haunted Mansion and stuff like that. So when and it works we well... Can- it, you can get right through that line. Obviously, it worked well enough for me to get from all the way to the back of the line to to the front within like twenty five minutes, or maybe twenty minutes. And we we can kind of get into the minutia of what those pre show numbers are, but uh, they're all kind of a function of one another, and it's it's various variables of eight. Uh, or multiples of eight, rather, is seemingly what they're loading into each of those pre-show rooms. That gets a little bit uh, uh, dry and into uh, Josh's level of analysis. But um, there are there are multiple bottlenecks throughout this ride, and we can we can get into those after. But let's let's talk about the ride experience itself. So you are the detention center, and then the uh, ride experience. Okay, so you're itself. in the detention center now. You're on this ship, and the one, one thing that I noticed. To uh, after standing on that moving platform for that long was that when I was standing in the Imperial ship, my I still you ever get that feeling when you're on something that's moving and then you get off like a boat is a like perfect a boat, example yeah. yeah and it felt like I was still moving now I know that that wasn't what was happening but like you had this weird feeling oh my maybe it's woozy here's what I think they need in the transport thing they should have some kind of airflow blowing on you 
Uh, and Josh would know a little bit more about this. So, like, when you're in a simulator and things are moving, look like they're moving a lot faster, but your body knows that they're not actually moving that fast, It's yep. out, and there's no air blowing in your face. Like, I definitely got one of the times I went through, I definitely got, like, woozy, and I, when I came out of there... I was standing in the Imperial ship, and I'm like, I feel like I'm moving right now, but like, I know I'm not. <laughs> my legs feel all weird. I couldn't feel yep. my toes. It was all screwed up. <laughs> and so, so I, I was a simulator instructor at, at Pan Am for a short bit, and I saw more than a handful of people get sick in there. And I can tell you that there, there's there's a couple of things that contribute strongly to that, and you hit the nail right on the head with one of them. If it's not just about temperature, and I always thought it was, I always thought it's like, well, if you're warm, you know, it's going to be worse. Help some that, though. Yeah, and I think that's true. If you're, you know, temperature is the enemy, but having a breeze, fresh air, is a big deal. Yeah. And the other thing is that any disconnect between the visual stimulation that you're getting and the kinesthetic motion that you're sensing from the movement of the thing, if there is any discrepancy between those, your brain is like something is wrong. And, you know, it's your lizard brain. It's evolutionary to where you're supposed to be panicked if that sort of problem arises because, you know, in prehistoric days, you would die if you didn't react to that. So yeah. it, it's it's not something you can overcome with, with willpower. So no. they can... There might be something they can do to improve the level of synchronization or to to decrease cognitive dissonance that occurs from conflicting signals going in from your ears, your eyes, and your kinesthetics. Um, but I agree with Gary 100% that if they can't, if this is as good as it gets synchronization-wise, then you've got to decrease the temperature and increase the airflow 100%. That will absolutely make a tremendous difference. There will still be people that get sick because there's right. a pretty wide range of sensitivity. But if you don't have good airflow and if you don't keep the temperature low, you're going to, you know, dramatically increase the size of people who come out of that feeling like shit. And I can tell you this, anyone's ever been seasick knows I don't care what you're experiencing. It is not fun. No. <laughs> so if you want the rest of that ride to be enjoyable for people, you've got to, you've got to not make them seasick before you put them on it. Yeah. I mean, it, it was, uh, I mean, I didn't have much sleep because I was up all the, all night the day before. Because you keep vampire and hooker, hooker well, hours? That's true, too. <laughs> Mainly hooker. <laughs> but, yeah, when I went through the second time, and this, these weren't like back-to-back, right? Well, two of them were, but they, like, the second time I got on there, which was, you know, there was time in between and everything like that. Like, when I got off, I just felt, it only happened once, but I just felt woozy. You know, I knew exactly what it was. It was that simulator thing. It's kind of like how Star Tours does it. It's kind of like how Simpsons does it, like, pretty much every time I go on yep. it. Uh, it's just this weird feeling where you're just like, ah, man, I feel a little little nauseous. You feel, you feel off. Yeah. We have to do this with, uh, with Marie in any simulator. There are some that she'll be fine on. Like, Flight of Passage, she's absolutely fine on. But Star Tours has to close her eyes 20 seconds in. Like I it, think she... Yeah. Yeah, I think if she holds onto the railing and stuff, um, you know, I don't know. I'll leave it, say you can actually feel the thing moving, and then maybe it's more in sync. I don't know. Maybe I was just trying to counterbalance because I wasn't holding on to anything. But um, it, it's a great effect either way. If I you're mean, not I mean, focusing on either of the screens, you could probably avoid it, I would think. Yeah, I think well. so. See, I'm speculating here, but I think part of the problem – see, in a, in a real flight simulator like we would use at, a, at an airline – the goal of the simulator is to exactly replicate the feeling of what's being experienced. Right. I suspect that in the theme park environment, what they're actually trying to do is make the motion, make it more dramatic. And I, and I think, 
and I think that's the problem is that your the human brain is just it's amazing how good the mind is at certain things, and, and that's one of them. When whenever there's just any discrepancy, your brain is just so good at detecting it, and I think that this is one of those situations where the artistic flair that gets put into this might actually work against them to some degree. And the problem is who is the, who is the, if imagine we're Imagineers, like that's a big premise of the show, right? Yeah. Who is the person that you decide is the standard? Like if I can go on it and I feel fine, does that mean it's okay? Is Gary that person? Is Tim? Is Ben? You know, is my grandmother like? Who do you pick? I think you got to hit a percentile. Is really what it comes down to, and that's probably what they're shooting for. And they, and this is where I'm not normally a big fan of designing things by committee or even doing study group or focus groups. But you know, I I agree. This is one of those things where you just sort of have to maybe go with some rule of thumb, and then you take customer feedback and you adjust it as necessary. So I think this it's is that probably, story from body wars where they cut out like three seconds and yep. like 15% more people could ride it. And you can see that by the way, I mean, that's a great example. Cause if you actually watch later versions of the body of, of videos of body wars, you could see there's one hard edit in that yeah. whole ride and that's where they cut out. And I think you're right. It was like 15 seconds or something. It was a heart, heart beating only ride to ever make me motion sick. There, there you go. And, and I, that, I think that's always going to be a problem with uh, simulators. Like you could mm-hmm. subject someone to much worse forces, much more, well, let, me, let me be less uh, qualitative there, much more severe forces on a roller coaster, and people will endure it because it's the real world. The feedback right. is real. To simulate that perfectly is really, really hard. So simulators, I think, always have to take a little bit of a bias toward the mild side because they're just going to exacerbate yeah. that that cognitive dissonance. So I mean, I, this is something I think they could they could probably yeah, fix. Yeah, you could tune it. And what it is, too, is like you're talking about how they're trying to make it early dramatic. I mean, you're on a turntable, so visually they're trying to – you're in a, you get in a battle and stuff like that. So they're definitely, it's definitely overly dramatic to what right. is actually going on. That's you know, like and you just like brought up a good point I didn't think of. The turning aspect of it is happening too. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's something they're trying to to completely obscure from you. So they yeah, really yeah, fight in two battles there at the same time. I, I think op- they'll this will get tweaked. I, I bet I'm confident about yeah. that. It's not it's not that bad to where it's like, oh, I can't ride. It was, you know, I'm going to get sick. But it's just something I noticed when I, I, my thought, like there's no airflow in that thing. If they yeah. just had like some cold air blown through nozzles or something like that, I don't know. Or yep. just, it would definitely alleviate all that because. I wonder I, what it would be like and what problems they'll have in the summer if it gets that much hotter in there. Yeah. Yeah, because it was cold when I was there. I mean, well, it was Florida cold. It was like, I, you know, 50s. I, I meant to mention this earlier when I told my first story. Overwhelmingly, when I saw people in the flight simulator get sick, they had the Wemax, which are the little air vents, closed in the mm-hmm. in the cockpit. Uh, that airflow really does make a difference. So I thought that's what they were for in simulators, just to keep you like like because when you're on um, Mission Space, they had, I believe there's little air things blowing from above you. They have like fans or something that's blowing air like right in your face. Yeah, it probably is. I mean. I mean, it feels good. I mean, when you have cold air blowing, but all right, well, here's a perfect example: when you're riding past you're in a car and somebody drives like shit and it's heavy on the brake, you turn <laughs> well, the air on. Down. Turn well, the yeah, air on, yeah. Or, you, or you turn those nozzles right in your face, or if you're just hung over in a car, you put that cold <laughs> air right in your face. Feels great. Yep. But so, all right, so you get thrown in these detention cells, and I didn't really know. I didn't watch the video for this part. I just I knew you were going to get broken out. Um, I knew a wall was going to open it up, but. They have a screen above you, and they have these big triangle roof pieces that are slanted. 
there's people in line with all these theories. Oh, that's the trash compactor that's about to kill you. Uh, somebody else said it was, I don't know, some kind of computer system or something like that. I don't know. Like, they were trying to match it up with the story. I think I figured out what it is. It's uh, So, when they're showing the projection of the people up on the screen, you can see there's a red light behind them, and you can see their footsteps when they walk by. Think of how the projection's done in the queue for the Harry Potter's... Uh, I don't know, the, the vault ride, uh, what the hell is it called? Uh, Escape from Gringotts. Escape, Gringotts. Escape from Gringotts, and they're doing the pre-show, <laughs> and it looks like, and the same with Christopher Walken, and uh, I guess they don't have Disaster. Disaster. Either. Yeah. But it's like, you can see the background, but it's still the proje- the projections in front of them. But they made the shadow of Kylo Ren and um, the Hux. other guy walk by. And so, like, you can see the shadow of their legs kind of walk by the shining light on the ceiling. It has to be the only reason these slanted ceilings exist up there. I don't see any other reason for it, because it's just this huge slanted ceiling kind of for, like, no reason. Anyway, I mean, so, yeah, I got it. It, it, seemed like, it seemed like a pretty good effect, though, with, yeah, with no, the shadow makes, of them. It makes it look way more realistic than just having a... Uh, um, a projection of them up there it makes them feel like they're really there. I mean, if I see yeah. that if somebody walks by a light and I see the shadow on the ceiling, it's going to make you think that subconsciously, at least that yeah, there's yeah. somebody really up there, and it kind of adds to the like oh, I'm stuck in a jail cell and they're above you, looking down on you, and pretty much telling you that they're going to torture you until you give them the information. And then the um, when you get broken out, like Kyla gets called up to the bridge. I didn't expect this, but you can see the metal on the wall start melting, like somebody sticking a lightsaber through, but like a lightsaber doesn't actually come through it. So I don't so know. So how's that using. effect? Because it doesn't look good in video. It looks it looks good in person. Uh, okay. I can see how it didn't look good on video because it's not that bright. But it just I wasn't expect. I thought a door was just going to pop open. I wasn't expecting like this, you know, melted metal looking thing to just appear and then the door peels away. Uh, even the back side of the door when you're sitting on the car looked looks all ripped up and everything like that when you get to the other side. And then like the cast members, once you get through there, everybody kind of huddles through the door. They're rushing you to hurry up and get on there. Like, come on, we're breaking you out of jail. Hurry up and get on and everything. And they do a quick seatbelt check and all that stuff. Explain the load process because you're you're switching in story from first order to resistance. Are you standing on numbers in the detention room or no? Oh, yeah. So when they, when they line you up against the wall they'll send you down a hallway and you have to stand on a color. And I think it's like blue, red, silver, and orange or something like that. And you have to remember that um, color. And then when they rush into the area, you got each row is lit up with a different color and you just got to like hurry up and get in real quick. And So you're not assigned to a color. seat, you're just assigned to a row. You're just assigned to a color, four people okay. in a row. Okay, that's a good you, way to do it. It's yeah. Simpsons style. Okay, that's, yep. a, that's a good way to do it, because I, I was, con- I mean, concerned is not really the right word, but just curious as to, again, you're switching from, all right, good guys and bad guys uh, loading you into different rooms, so what do Tim's, they do to keep consistent? Tim's worried about his front row seat. Exactly, exactly. Um, the the other components to this that I guess are kind of interesting from the Imagineering side of things, uh, Gary mentioned this at the outset about the various uh 
uh, the fact that the fact that they're kind of playing off of every trick that Disney has done, uh, things like sparks throughout the attraction, uh, they use digital mapping uh, yep. throughout the attraction, and it looks like um, some of that digital mapping is paired with like effects of things breaking away. If it's just a single blast, where you've got the uh, the scorch marks, but then like a hole where you can see the inside of a crate, all of that is just paired uh, yep. very well together. Um, but Gary, to the uh, to the question on the the loading of the vehicle itself, do they go through a standard uh, load process where they make you like pull on a yellow strap and test everything? Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. so you pull, on, you get in left to right, same deal as all the other rides, and then they pull on the strap, but they do it pretty quick, um, you know, because they rush you in and everything, and then it, they make everybody who's wearing anything on their head take it off, and I'm assuming that's one of the wind in one of the scenes, but. Yeah, and you get in real quick, and the load process was um, is is pretty quick. I don't see any bottlenecks or anything. And probably it's you know it works with the story, and it's great because if you rush people, you can get more capacity through and everything like that. So, is there room for like bags or any cargo nets or anything nah, like that? Nah, you just you just put it between your feet. You no, know, there was a. Uh at the, at the outset, there was some some discussion of them having to change the doors to the vehicles. Uh, do you remember if the doors were open when uh, you went in there? The doors, the doors to the, the ride vehicles themselves, I guess, had to be modified. Uh, they shot like spaceship reasons. Earth doors. So, okay, so, uh, they, so they slide. They slide. Uh, is it fully sliding into place, or do they kind of slide uh, in two, where they split in the middle uh, and sl- and slide in either direction? Uh, it, I never sat in the back row, but I'm assuming like so the doors just slid shut just like they do on Spaceship Earth, where you have two doors that just both slide forward at the same time. They have little bumpers okay. on the end of them, and it just stops, and you're in there. Uh, they're they're big on you, not even having your arm on the armrest on the side. They want your arms inside at all times. Even if you have your armrest on the arm, they'll you know like if you have your arm, if you're sitting on the side and you have your arm up like on the you know side like if you were sitting in spaceship earth they'll tell you you gotta move it and stuff like that but i mean once you're out of the station i don't know at that point you never okay. come close enough or anything to touch it anyway but um when you when the ride starts it shows a little thing like a little spiel about um you know what what you need to do not a safety spiel or anything like that, but it's like it's a uh, Finn telling you you got to hurry up and get to the turbo lifts and go down, and then there's escape pods and stuff like that, and your R2 unit's going to take you through it, and then you go into this huge open room where you can see empty vehicles that are going into the loading station that you're coming out of, and they kind of like dance around you, like they come out and like you know, I don't know, it's weird. You can see all these there's empty cars everywhere, and at first I thought they were running the attraction at half capacity because I'm like. Why is there empty cars? Like, why would there be empty cars right now? It just doesn't make any sense. I didn't. That's an interesting that. operational decision too, because clearly they they have so many attractions have like a natural connection between unload and load, uh, be it just the track progresses that way. Mm-hmm. In this case, I wonder how they got to that point. Whether they deliberately said we want to have load and unload far apart from each other, but we need to have a way to get the vehicles from unload back that- to load. Yeah. That's interesting because every time I've watched the video, I've actually looked at those as like the uh, the honeypots on Pooh's honeypot that don't have any guests in them as as just being part of the attraction. Actually, I in, not until just now, I didn't realize those are going back to the next load area. Yeah, to put the so next they're room. like that's interesting. They're telling a story while serving a function uh, yeah. that would otherwise happen behind the scenes where they like you which know, you kind of have to think is 
sort of the pinnacle of imagineering, you know, to be able to do that, to, to totally blend storytelling with the logistical challenges. That's, that's pretty impressive. And I I wonder, was that serendipity? Did they just get lucky? Did they, was that a strategy from the beginning? I mean, we'll probably never know. Uh, but it is definitely very interesting. I mean, that's an I easy think- enough question. If anybody happens to corner Scott Trowbridge, ask him the question. Uh, I mean, a lot of these Imagineers are there. And yeah. now that the attraction's open, you can probably pick the brain of any of these people at the next you know, D23 event and just say, hey, talk, talk me through this decision. And now the fact that it's open, they're usually more forthcoming with that type of information. And it's I mean, super nerdy, I, to but. some degree, I think this is maybe one of the advantages you get with a trackless ride system, just because, I mean, sure, you can have switches on physically tracked systems, but there's latency there. You have to, you know, there's the challenges of making sure that the switch functions properly. So there's got to be, you know, safety protocols there. It, it does seem that there's probably more flexibility afforded to them with something that can be operated without a track. But this is... I, I can't really think of any other ride where I've seen this sort of thing. Doesn't yeah. this also mean that, you know, dispatch at unload is as important as dispatch at load? Yeah. Like it, to, to keep everything moving harmoniously. Depends, through? I guess it depends on what the buffer is in those, you know, how yeah. many, it looks like how they many got a lot cascaded, but yeah. So there, there's probably, I would imagine that they have a lot of flexibility up until the point it's like Netflix, right? Buffering, mm-hmm. you know, once the buffer is empty, then, things go downhill very rapidly. <laughs> but, you know, the question is, how much time do they have with that buffer? Because you've got, yeah. I mean, the, the the variable that's, I think, probably intractable and problematic in all of these attractions are the meat bags that you're trying to load, right? It's the one <laughs> thing that you can't predict. There's everything from, you know, young people that are anxious to get on and know what they're doing, to, you know, theme park people who go there all the time, to old people, you know, people who are confused, people who don't speak English. There's so many variables there and so many permutations of who's in line behind whom Mm -hmm. that no matter how big of a a soft opening you do, no matter how much you model this in a computer, when you open this thing to the public at large, it's always going to be something that, uh, you know, presents you with challenges that you didn't realize you had. And, you know, and that's sort of why I gave Haggard's a pass for the first. And I think I said this when we talked about it. You know, their abysmal opening capacity on the first couple of days. I'm like, well, that that's not damning of the attraction. You know, we won't really know until three weeks, a month, two months into it. Um, and I think the same thing here. You know, the question is, it, can this be tweaked? Can they figure it out? And if they can, then it's fine. But if in a year, you know, the capacity is 50% of what they anticipated, that's obviously a huge problem. You're right. I mean, think of it like Test Track. We mock it, you know, uh, off the cuff about its stalled opening. But uh, in hindsight, now 20 years later, people are riding that without uh, without incident, and it's yep. still a very popular attraction. So let's, uh, let's go through the ride. Um, I know uh, Gary is somewhat pressed for time. But, uh, Gary, if you can just kind of take us quickly through maybe some of the effects in the ride that, uh, that, that you liked, things that maybe are uh, not necessarily viewed or put in proper perspective on a video, if he's still with us. Uh, I know that I can. Uh, <laughs> I'm just going to pretend that Gary's here. Uh, we can, we can kind of hit on some of the things that are done throughout the attraction. Um, <laughs> They uh, there's there's sparks throughout the attraction. When we saw the uh, the preview videos of it, it looked like there was going to be natural explosions in there, and we suspected that that probably wasn't the case. 
excuse me, uh, actually even on the latest uh, episode of Imagineering Story, they showed how they did some of the digital mapping in like the middle of an area on Mystic Manor where they had some scrims that under certain light you can't actually see that the scrims are there, yet they can map uh, uh, sparks to it. Uh, I imagine that some of that is done, but a lot of it seems to be done on surfaces that we see, uh, like like physically hard surfaces. Um, I mentioned it before as well, the digital mapping onto crates and other walls where it's paired with uh, flaps coming down against that where it looks like a smooth surface and then part of that surface uh, folds away when it's hit with a laser blast. Um, All of that is just done so seamlessly and uh, here's hoping that it's maintained and uh, operable, you know, 50 years from now. Bob Iger did uh, some surveys and found out that 83.6% of American guests did not want to actually be blown up. That's so. fair. <laughs> but, I mean, it's, it wouldn't certainly be unprecedented to have sparks or something like that small in an attraction like this. Not necessarily have a massive explosion, but, you know. I'm just glad these Imagineers obviously spent some time in Muppet Vision 3D and uh, ripped <laughs> us off. Yeah, exactly. That's, I'm sure, the 100% the inspiration of this. Uh, joking aside, I think, I, I, you know, Gary said it, I think, in the beginning that it's uh, using all of the tricks in their bag. Yeah. There is, there's a lot to be said for that, that when you take a few subtle effects and you combine them, um, the impact that it has can be really tremendous. And, and that's, you know, and there's so much that goes into this, whether it's controlling the, the, the angle that the guest is viewing things from, right. you know, com- combining, this is kind of what we were hoping for when screens started to really predominate. And we criticized that as being sort of obtuse. We Use said, them as you know, a tool, not the tool. Correct. Right. Right. You know, and that's what we're seeing now is it's a combination of projection mapping. There's screens, there's practical effects, there's sparks, there's fog, there's panels that move away. And what we're learning is that, and I, I'm going to stand on my soapbox a little bit here. It, this is what I've been saying. The, the, you know, the development of new technologies does not mean that you forsake all of the tricks that you used to have. Right. The opportunity is to put them all together in order to sell the story. And, I'll, you know, Joe Rody did such a masterful job of explaining this in what I'll call his episode of the Imagineering Story. Joe Rode. It's got, it's, Dick, it's, it's, you know, it's got to be about the story and you can't use technology for the sake of technology that will always bite you in the ass. That will never be compelling. You've got to have something that people are interested in and being led to believe. And then you use these tools to make them believe it. And when you combine these things together, it works way better than when you only had, you know, a subset of those tools. And that's what this attraction seems to do is bring all these things together. And it does it in a way it's not ham fisted. It's well thought out. It's careful. It's, you know, it's just, there's a tremendous amount of attention to detail. It's what we wanted Disney to do. We believed the reason we're doing, the reason as grown men that we're doing a podcast about (laughs) Disney is because we believed that they employed a group of people that were capable of taking their talents and doing something like this. And they did it. And I think that's kind of what is the exciting part here. And what I want to see now, and this is for you, Derek, let's see universal counter it, beat them. We want to see the theme park wars. I don't want this to remain the best attraction in the world. I want somebody else to make something better. And then I want to see that get topped because that is the way that in 15 years from now, we end up with something that in 2019 slash 2020, we said was impossible. That has got to be the end game is let's keep making this better. Let's keep pushing the state of the art, you know, defy 
what everyone knows is the limit and blow the minds of kids that haven't even been born yet. I'm going to earmark that attraction at Universal. I'm... I think the one that they're going to try to counter this with is going to be that Universal Classic Horror Monsters attraction. I would Based say that, the, it'd, that it'd be something in Nintendo, but I mean, any I, one of those. I was going to say Faster and Furious, sir. <laughs> well, I will say that house, that Monsters House they did for uh, Halloween Horror Nights is pretty badass. So, uh, and the, the, would... there's some rumblings that that's the one that they're really putting a lot of attention into. And I hope if you so. notice the leadership group that they have over there designing the park. And the the especially uh, some of the people they took away from from horror nights. That's that's their bread and butter, and that's the one that I think can can incorporate some of this technology in the feel of this attraction and and kind of be their counterpunch to it. So we'll see, we'll see. Uh, there's there's th- three things I want to hit on on the ride itself, and really I'm looking for firsthand uh, uh, reports from Gary on them. Um, first one is the uh, Kylo running with the lightsaber. So my understanding is that's part screen, part practical effect with the lightsaber. Could you make out how that effect, like, how did it look? And then could you kind of diagnose how it's done? That makes sense because when you, if you notice, you may have noticed in the video, right before you go on the lift, when they show that scene, they flash bright white lights in your face. It's almost like they don't want you to see okay. something. That makes sense. And, and then... Kylo comes down and he runs toward you. So maybe what it is is the bright lights kind of, and they stay on too, obscures whatever mechanism puts the lightsaber there. But it's like he's running towards the lift that you're on and the door shuts really quick and things moving. Uh, And then obviously he jumps on top of the, the cab that you're in after that. But I didn't think of that, but I did wonder why those lights appeared when you got in front of that part because both cars on each side they'll turn and they'll face the where he appears and the lights are red and they'll switch the bright white and it kind of blinds you yeah it's a mess with your eyes that makes sense yep, yep. there's so, no actual vertical movement in that lift is it? that's all simulated at that one that one does not go down as far as i can tell uh okay. it doesn't feel like any movement and you also drop uh on the escape pod so i don't see why you why you would yeah. go down at that point yeah so you you go up in the AT-AT scene, and then you go down in the escape pod, and I believe those are the only lifts. Yeah. Uh, there may, and somebody may be able to correct me on this. I believe there are two up elevators and four down elevators. Could be. It looks like. I mean, there's a lot of doors when you're going through the corridors, and you don't know which ones are real, which ones are not. Okay. Um, uh, and just from a, a, a strict timing standpoint, going up is a quicker process than going down because you've got the simulator component on the uh, the down elevator. That would make sense then, yeah. So so stepping beyond that running lightsaber scene, you jump into the scene that they teased uh, in, in videos, uh, the, the lightsaber in the ceiling. How did that look in person? Looks great. I mean, it, obviously we know that a beam light was going to come through, but it looks more realistic than the... $200 lightsaber thing that okay. you buy, you know, it's, it, it's got grooves and stuff. Like, I don't know. It, I, I don't know exactly. Like, it doesn't look like a perfect, you know, the lightsabers you buy, it's like a perfect yeah, uniform yeah, yeah. piece. It doesn't look like that. It looks like it's actually like a rigid piece of light because Kylo's lightsaber was never like, crude, a, yeah. it wasn't smooth. It was always like, it was a blasting, you know, almost like blasting out of a furnace or something like that. I don't know how to explain it, but, now, the effect's done really well. 
And then after you come out of that scene, you go into the artillery room, I guess I would call it. I don't know, yep. but it's got the huge cannons. And, they, and those. The, what's cool about that is they actually cross the path, your, your ride path, and these things are huge, and they come out in front of you, and you can see the LED things where it like lights up. They said that you, that you would kind of feel the movement of those cannons. Was there like a, a pulse, maybe like a yeah. subwoofer type feeling on it? So when they when they blast, you can feel it's like a deep bass hit, you know, yeah. and, it, and then they go back and then you'll move up and then you have to stop because the next one comes out in front of you and stuff like that. It's, it's impressive. And the way the screen looks like you're hovering, remember, you're hovering over a planet this entire time. So you can see the horizon of a planet that's, slowly rotating so it gives you the feeling that you're actually above like an atmosphere and everything like that like it's legit these screens are so big there's so much going on there's no way you can go on that thing i've been on it three times and i still find stuff that i've never seen before it's just too much to see and the rewritability of this thing especially too because one thing we should touch on too is it does i loaded in the same exact space twice mm-hmm. um Actually, three times, because I always got the blue row. I think it's because I was solo every time, so I was the single. And my ride track changed, and it didn't matter. That's the beauty of those trackless vehicles, yep. that there's probably, and I don't know what the number is, but there there are many different ride paths. And the only one that I've been on, uh, well, I guess there's two of them, but in P- Pooh's Honey Hunt, there didn't seem to be any rhyme or reason as to what your uh, what your path was going to be, uh, regardless of where you loaded. So that's that's good. That's what you want to see. You don't want it to be predictable. Um, I want to go back to that Kylo uh, saber effect in the ceiling. Um, my understanding of that scene, and perhaps you can look for this, uh, is that the the opening that it goes through or that it creates is a, a uh, rotation of the ceiling, and that's how they pull off that effect, and they just had the light inserted down in, into it. But kind of like a... A, a variant of the Enchanted Tales with Bell mirror that opens up that they yes. that they've just got like a huge area to work with, so you don't expect them to be able to rotate an entire ceiling, but that's what they're doing. Well, you can kind of see this like an indentation in the ceiling, and it looks like a you know a half circle, and then this thing comes in one side of it, and then just kind of moves over in a circular shape. Okay, and so and then the with the melted metal is definitely done like projection map. You know, it's like they it projects like molten metal on there, so it looks like it's melting as the lightsaber moves through. So it, it looks good in person. I mean, it's it's not a bad effect at all. Uh, the, it, uh, it, it looks look damn good on video. That's for yeah. sure. Yeah, I expected my expectation because I saw the preview videos, and I, I've admitted many times I'm not a huge Star Wars fan. But when I saw that effect on the promo material, I was like, "Holy crap! If they can pull that off, that's going to be incredible." Yeah. And my expectation was that when I saw, you know, real guest videos, that it was going to be a huge letdown, and it wasn't. I mean, it seems to me that they didn't do a lot of doctoring, if anything, to the promo materials. That that was. I mean, the it effect. was definitely enhanced, but well, it, it, they, they I mean, showed things that people expected to see in the ride, and they did in some way, shape, or form. I mean, you've also got a professional video crew in there compared yeah, to right. somebody holding yeah, their iPhone with their hand. That so. does, you know, all the movie effects. Of course, they're going to add in all the extra stuff. Now, the, the AT-ATC, and I think you guys may have already passed this, uh, but... It's pronounced Tata. Yeah, I, I've heard <laughs> people say that, oh, you know, the one side's good and the other side's not that good. I liked both sides. I didn't have a problem with either one. I mean, they're, they're two different things. The one side, when you get the, the right side, the one that's that doesn't have 
like where you don't where get it shot doesn't at fire at on yeah. Well, you, you're about to get on this corridor and you get right up to it, and then you just stop. And like I thought, I was going to get on the hallway, and you don't because you're the second car. You don't really kind of experience that in the other uh, in that scene, and and you go through a different room when you're in the the one where you don't get fired at. I mean, you go through a different room regardless of which one it is. But I didn't see. Uh, I didn't think either side was disappointing. I, I've I heard think people is, say that that they I, thought I feel one like side this is was a, better. Almost like a Mr. Toad's kind of thing. Yeah. Where where the fact that you can create a different experience is going to at the end. Yeah. On day one, you're going to have hardcore Disney podcaster nerds who are going to say one side's better than the other. Right. The the two year, three year, five year, ten year outcome is that you're going to have increased writability rewritability because of this so i think this was a good choice making them identical would have been the wrong move yeah. i heard people uh, saying too like oh well, make sure you don't get path two. make sure you ask to sit in the second car yeah. and that's why i thought it was interesting that that it doesn't matter which one you sit in so, it's, it's it like, seems to be randomized is that well, your it's tip? definitely randomized yeah. yeah yeah i mean that's that's fact at this point because like i said i've been in the same spot same exact gel cell and everything and uh it it was different both times. Some so. clever things there in that room as well. Because there are such large props and figures in there, you are seeing two different shows in the exact same room where you have two different animatronics of the same character in that same room that you can't see depending yeah, I, on what, what space of the room you're in. Well, even when I took the second path, I didn't, I didn't see the uh, – at least I don't remember seeing – uh, Finn crouched down, leaning up against yeah. the ATAT. I just don't remember seeing that at all. I guess because I was looking at everything else that's going on. They also have a big mirror in there that makes it look like there's more ATATs in the distance. Okay. Uh, behind like uh, like half closed hangar doors, so it kind of gives more depth to the room. So, uh, okay. So it, regarding uh, that room, moving out of that room, uh, the final Kylo animatronic. Um, where like the wall comes crumbling down seem to be pretty similar to the finale of mystic manor. If people have either been on it or want to watch it, uh, the room kind of falls away there. How does that effect look in person? So we have to also look at on that. And this is another reason why the 360 video comes in handy because, uh, your attention on a 2d video is on Kylo Ren because he's holding you with the force sure. and not letting you go. But outside that window, there's a battle going on, and one of the TIE fighters gets hit, loses one of its wings, spinning out of control, and hauling ass towards you. And it comes right up to the ship and hits it. And right when it hits it, that's when the wall tears away, and it's a loss of cabin pressure. Like, all this wind starts blowing. Obviously, he gets sucked oh, awesome. out. But you can't get any of that in the video like you can't tell it's you know uh what's going on uh, maybe in the 360 you can see everybody's hair blowing forward i'm assuming this is why you can't wear mouse ears and stuff like that because it's like a shit ton of wind it just starts blowing behind you out that hole and kyler ren starts to get sucked out the hole and then something falls from the ceiling and kind of obscures your view and that's when you go into the lift now one thing i was thinking about when you get into the escape pods i think the red lights and the like the trim of the ship at the top I think those are actually physical sets with the screen behind it. If not, it looks golden because when they pulsate, like it lights up the room red. And when you drop, they they stay up there, and like you know the screen and everything else moves. And it's it's hard to explain, but I think outside those windows, the actual I don't know what you want to call it, but like the trim outside the ship or like the edge of the ship is visible as a physical set, and you actually fall away from it. 
So it gives it more of an effect that you're actually falling. What would you say is the kind of like, I I, I know the finale of the ride is that, is that drop and the, and the, um, yeah. Simulator thing. Would you say that's kind of like the peak point of the entire experience? Uh, does it peak earlier than that? What would you say was the high, like the, the best part of this 15 minute experience? I mean, for me, only because this, I, I like the disconnect from going from the land and taking that transporter up, okay. uh, and then having that same door open in a completely different area. That, like you actually feel like you went someplace else, and you probably stayed within like a I don't know fifty foot radius and yeah, just went yeah. around a table. But so that was always those disconnects were always great effects on. Um, like I said, uh, this the hydrolators or the lift and um, whatever the hell that ride is at Universal. You know what I'm talking about? The one with the gold. Yep. Um, <laughs> like those are always great effects. So I like that part the best. But the trackless is the first time I've experienced trackless ride systems um, outside of like Universe Energy or something like that. And Great Movie Ride because it was also right. trackless t- technically. Different um, version of it, but yes. yeah. But. The ride part's definitely thrilling. If you watch the ride videos, that ride's about five minutes long, and it, it doesn't feel like it because there's so much action going on the whole time. But it's it's great, man. And that's what I'm saying. It's the whole experience. And that when people get off, and that's that's the first thing they say is like that thing just from even just walking in the line, going through the queue, and they anticipate they do the queue very well to where they like you can't see past walls, so they have to anticipate anticipation of going in the next year is this going to be it is this going to be the pre-show is this working on yeah. board um they do that a lot in that queue so you can't tell how long they could right now i couldn't map it out for you i don't know <laughs> you just you go in these different rooms there's so many different switchbacks and everything like that but it just the whole thing just works and the idea of an attraction like this that you said is, is so action-packed uh, it seems also, though, that somehow it is very well paced, so it doesn't necessarily feel as frenetic as it might, as some other rides might be. Um, I, I'd point to like Spider-Man over at Universal, where I think that's better paced than uh, Transformers, and part of the, that's part of the reason why I like Spider-Man better. Uh, do you feel that this is too frenetic, or do you think that like there is there's pacing so that it's not uh, just non-stop action throughout it that there's uh, there's definitely pacing with it with the pre-shows i mean just going from the transport i wouldn't say the transport's like thrilling but there's stuff going on i mean it's kind of like rides within rides rideception if you will yeah pretty much <laughs> and then you know you go through that and like because like i said the the force first order shows up starts shooting at your ship and then there's x-wings flying around your ship and stuff and you got your shields up and so it's it's not intense thrill rise, but like you know, theatrically, it's intense. Well, it, I think one of the things I like the most that I've seen so far is is that scene after you go up the lifts and you avoid the gun the the, the gunfire. Things slow down, yeah. and it's like you're sneaking up on the bridge and listening in on a conversation you're not supposed to be privy to. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it, it within the phonetic ride itself, it takes that thirty seconds to. to slow things down so we can ramp it back up one uh, last time. Even with the probe droid and everything like that shows up, we were like, oh man, we're busted. And because the probe droid, you know, drops down right there and you turn around and you go away and then you're cool and you're just about to get on the lifts and the stormtroopers see you and start shooting at you and stuff and it, it just starts 
shit starts hitting the fan from there on out for the rest of the ride. And those battle scenes, and yeah, the lasers aren't flying across your face, but they make it feel like they actually are. I mean, like, like you don't see it, but there's, you know, you're seeing things get hit in front of you. They make it appear like it's sparking with the, however they do the, you know, the scrims or whatever. They, they like, think objects look normal and suddenly they have damage on them and then yeah, it has to yeah. reset like instantly so because the next group's going to come in so it just works it's it's amazing how they did it jim, jim hill said they patented technology where the lasers would actually penetrate your body you would see them fly across <laughs> the room and pierce through you I, that doesn't happen they projection could. map every person that walks in. They they <laughs> got to. Uh, uh, I think that's probably a good spot to uh, uh, to stop this. Uh, if you have any questions or topic ideas, you can send us uh, well, an email. I, I did have one last question. This is you real can send fast. us an email then. Okay. Yeah, it, no, I don't want to do that because this is for Gary. Channels, Ben. Gary's right. <laughs> Gary's right here. I need. I haven't seen his 360 video, but that final scene with Kylo. Uh, yeah. I understood that the cast member steps off of the vehicle next to the side and grabs a microphone and tells Kylo to go away or we'll drop a house on you too. And that's when the ceiling falls down. Is that not how that works? Or No, he gets out and he puts his hand on his lightsaber and then a little some smoke comes up from the ground and a little wall flips around. <laughs> is there actually a golden brick behind the ride vehicle at this point? There is, yeah. I thought so. And I could never find that damn thing, especially if I cast Blanca, right? I mean, Ben, you might know about this. There was something about some golden thing in the ride path or something like that, like a golden brick or something like that. Uh, they talked about it on one of the, the tours, but I could never find it. Not No, not something I'm aware of. It was there was a golden something, something when R. Kelly visited, but that was totally that, That's different. right, yeah. Well, maybe that's what it was, the singing in the rain part. That's maybe what the originally. umbrella was for. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I just, have you found the hieroglyphic of R2-D2 and C-3PO? I have, yeah. But, well, you don't have to be cocky about it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, let's try this again. Ben, if you want to uh, ask any further questions, a... you can no, email sorry. us at martycalled at gmail.com. Uh, you can also follow us on Twitter under the username at martycalled or join in on the discussions in our Facebook group, facebook.com slash groups slash martycalled. We would also appreciate our listeners bookmarking our Amazon affiliates link over on martycalled.com. doesn't cost you anything but helps fund the show with purchases you were going to make anyway. Uh, ben, where can we find you online? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Real Skipper Ben. You can also find my new uh, convenience store food blog at Wawa Sucks. And <laughs> oh, fuck Lockheed's <laughs> <laughs> And you can find my uh, top 10 column in every issue of Attractions Magazine. Josh, where can we find you online? Utilidors.com. Door like the one you walk through, two O's. Second one for savings. Have a nice day. Hope you like it. Whoop whoop. And Gary, I believe you have a hoagie signing at the local Wawa. What do, <laughs> what do you have going on? Uh, I do, but I also have virtualdisneyworld.net. Virtually ride all your favorite Walt Disney World attractions without waiting in line at 360 degree high definition. Only at virtualdisneyworld.net. <laughs> Nailed it. <laughs> I like when Gary's serious. It's really funny. Brought you uh, by Broyo. <laughs> so, which, which one of us is going to be back for weeks. next? <laughs> wicker.net To be determined, Ben. To be determined. Okay. Me or Gary, it's a fight now. Who's coming back next episode? Uh, you can find me at WDW Theme Parks, www.themeparks.com. And we do have a surprise for our listeners at the end of this. It's www.themeparks.com.gov.biz <laughs> <laughs> like backslash creep thoughts. <laughs> um, so, so many dubs. 
<laughs> my uh, my former co-host on the old WDW Fanboys podcast, Paul Miller, uh, or should I say Randy Newman, uh, yes. has <laughs> has gifted us a song, uh, I'll Make a Man Out of You from Mulan. <laughs> I expect the, all my uhs to be edited out. They will not be. I promise you that. God damn it. Just send me the file. I'll do it. <laughs> nope. That's proprietary. Have a good one. All right. May the force be with you. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. Kiss my ass. Kiss his ass. Happy Hanukkah. Scheiße. Everyone and thank you for the download. It's Wednesday. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> Take three. We'll do it live. <laughs> Fuck it. We're gonna release the show on Thursday because I can't say Wednesday. <laughs>
Fire, mysterious as the 